0: Well, good morning, Church. If you've been AWOL for a few weeks or you're just joining us for the first time, you're joining us in a a time as we're walking through the book of Ephesians. And so it's the portion we're looking at this morning, I think, is particularly applicable to where we are. So we're delighted that you're with us this morning. For the last number of weeks, we've been preoccupied with uh, something, a virus that has changed our lives. But In the last number of weeks, it's taken a backstage to another virus that has been with us for far too long, and its presence has been largely unnoticed because most of the time it's operated underground, distorting and destroying, but every so often the ugliness of its work, it hasn't stayed hidden. And what I'm speaking of is a virus this morning's scripture speaks to as it peels back layers of appearance to show the evil that lies beneath uh, it's an evil of heart it's an evil where wrong and injustice live and it's from that heart that our thoughts are shaped and our actions are determined and and prior to this paul has encouraged us as, as those of us who are believers in jesus we've been given a new heart and and paul is encouraging so live out of that Live live walking worthy of the life to which we've been called. Lives that are characterized by humility and gentleness and patience and love. And as Paul makes clear, this is far more than being nice people who do nice things. Rather, we are to be people who live under new ownership people who have been chosen and and called by God. And based on that, he says, therefore, live out what lives within, not from sanitized actions or even right actions, but from right hearts. In other words, not lives that talk God, God talk, but lives that talk God, speaking His heart. And recent events have reminded us that acting and doing right are far different than being right in substance and being right in heart. Because acting and doing can be little more than veneers that are applied to what lies deep within. And if our well-being is threatened and those veneers are just too easily stripped away and When that happens, we have revealed to us attitudes and beliefs that identify sinful hearts. Hearts that justify and hearts that excuse. Hearts that cover and hearts that hide. Proud, self-serving hearts. Selfish hearts. Where mine is more important than yours. But to be clear, those hearts aren't what Others have their hearts. They're actually, what scripture tells us, is our hearts. What resides in us. And as Christians, we are called to live out a faith that is far more than veneer thin. It's to be a faith where the Holy Spirit is given free reign to transform us at our core. Where, where faith is, is given life and power to reflect Jesus' call. A call that we are to told in Matthew twelve to love our neighbors as ourselves, a call as Romans 12 tells us that we are to prefer one another in love, and as 1 Peter 5 tells us that we're to serve one another. In other words, to live as Jesus lived. Not living larger than, better than, more deserving than, rather, walking in humility, in love in gentleness. And to the, to the Romans and the Greek, to which Paul writes, those views are ludicrous because they prized power and honor, certainly not humility and gentleness. After all, power meant domination and honor, that meant elevation, better than, superior to, And humility, Mm, that was just associated with failure and shame. The word actually meaning crushed or debased. But in Christ, God turns everything upside down. Where he tells us that he puts his power into our humility. He puts his presence into our gentleness and therefore as Paul writes therefore filled with Christ's power and his presence because of who you are and what you have been given walk worthy and now in verse 25 Paul of chapter 4 of Ephesians Paul gives his second therefore highlighting what walking worthy is actually should look like what it should mean let me read therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbors for we are members one of another be angry and don't sin don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul starts in saying, Lay, therefore, laying aside falsehood. And when we think of falsehood, it's easy to dwell and to center on the things that bail us out. The things that leave impressions of truth, but just not full truth. But Paul's look at falsehood is far more inclusive. His call is to us, not in just truth that is said and spoken, but truth that is lived. Being honest with ourselves, admitting the falsehood that dwells within The falsehood that sees ourselves better than we are, that sees ourselves more worthy than we are. The falsehood that applies makeup to our disease and whitewashes our sin, painting it to to look good, despite what we know actually lies underneath. The word Paul uses for falsehood is the word pseudos, pseudo, which has about it the sense of showing what is Wanted to be seen, but hiding, not wanting, not admitting what there is there to be seen. It's it's just covered up living. And Paul's warning, don't live that way. Don't go there. Don't live by impressions of truth. Instead, live by authentic truth, indwelling truth people that can be held up to the light that you could be transparently sincere that you could be seen for actually the life of who you are and it's that type of living that reflects christ to a watching world holy spirit empowered living with one another as authentic people living out our calling as paul captures in the very very familiar words of first corinthians 13 of love that is patient it is kind it's not jealous it doesn't brag and it's not arrogant love does not act unbecomingly it doesn't seek its own it's not provoked does not take into account a wrong that's been suffered love does not rejoice in unrighteousness but it rejoices with the truth It it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. It's a reflection of the character of Christ, not a reflection of my wants and my demands and my image. And, And living like that, it can be challenging. There's no question. Confusing at times, there'll be moments. Stretching? Yep, it can be. But God honoring, without doubt. Reflecting Christ in how we talk and how we live. See, in verse 25, when he says, laying aside falsehood, it's the image of of taking off a coat and leaving it behind. Because the coat, it no longer fits. And more than that, it's also seeing the coat for what it is. It's a coat that's stained, and it's, it's putrid, and it's ripped. And, and there's probably no better image of this, picture of this, than what we're given with the prodigal son and his father, who, when the slay his uh, son returns home, beaten and beaten down, the father removes the tattered rags of his wayward son, and he replaces those with his festal, his celebration robe. And in that act, he declares his son a forgiven son. Offenses of the past, they're gone. The wrongs incurred, done away with, remembered no more. The old set aside because it no longer fits with the new identity. But there's also a sense that Paul calls us to not forget where he calls us to look carefully at the discard pile of the things that we've left behind those things being a reminder of who we were and verse 17 says that yours was a futile mind the things you thought the things that you believed the things in which you built your life your chase after money your chase after reputation your chase after pleasure and conquest they're futile they gave you none of the things they promised to deliver and in verse 18 he says you you were dark in your understanding you were calloused you were you were just hard-pressed hard-cased excluded from the life of God for for some that that image those words of being excluded from from the life of God that's it's disturbing after all, how does it fit with the view that so many want to have about God and so many want to choose to believe that he's all love, all forgiving, all turning the other chief, all chief, all accepting, believing that, that only sincerity of belief should count. So a God who excludes, what's, what sort of God is that? But as Paul points out, what excludes us from God isn't what our head believes. It's not even in what our actions are, whether they be good actions or bad action. What keeps us from God is, a, is an unchanged heart. And his diagnosis of our heart is abundantly clear. He tells us in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately wicked, desperately sick. Or Romans 3.10. There there is none righteous. There there is none. And all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So as Paul points out, we are excluded by God by our wickedly sick hearts. Excluded by God who requires the absence or the uh, absence of everything that is wicked. And instead... He requires absolute perfection, and that is the bad news because you and I, none of us, can present ourselves with absolute perfection. But the good news is this. Jesus is our perfection, our righteousness. And in him, we've been given a new heart, a heart that God looks on and says, that is accepting to me. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, you are in Christ who has become for us The wisdom from God. He, that he is our righteousness and redemption. And that is positional righteousness. Forgiven, declared not guilty in Christ. But Paul also wants us to know that it's not just enough to stand in righteousness. We are to be a people who live out that righteousness. So when Paul says lay aside falsehood, he is saying... Take off the grave clothes that you once wore. Lay aside every mark of possession of the one to whom you once belonged. The deceit that corrupts, the deceit that justifies, the deceit that destroys. And instead, Paul says, put on the new. And that means change behavior from a changed heart the new that is given us in verse 15 where it says speak the truth in love being a people of authenticity that actually speak and live truth love wrapped truth that doesn't uh, doesn't hide it's never a tool for battle it's never intended to wound it's a truth that heals it doesn't hide it doesn't deceive Instead, it restores and gives hope. And along with putting on truth, Paul points us to a few things of note that we are to be very clear that we've put aside, to lay them aside, because these type of things tend to stick. Specifically, our anger, our stealing, and stealing both of things and stealing in time, in credit, in reputation, a variety of ways we steal. We usually think of them just as things we take, but when we steal our time that is supposed to be given to an employer or somewhere else. And the third thing is our tongue. And in verse 26, Paul starts, Be angry and don't sin. And the word that Paul uses for being angry is the word orgazo, and it means to be provoked to anger, to swell, like the rising of blood pressure. And and Paul is speaking to the realities of life, what life brings, that there are things that will provoke. There are things that get the blood pressure going. There's the violations that are done to us, the things that have been denied us or taken from us, the things that cause us to be justifiably angry. And in the last number of weeks, we've been reminded of events that have set loose a tsunami of justifiable anger. Anger that has been lit by an event, but that has unleashed a uncontainable firestorm. And for some, the destructive aftermath of that event obscured what needed to be seen. That too long have been ignored, that many of us, we live lives of privilege just oblivious to the pain and wrongs that others have endured we don't give a second thought to the places that we go we don't wonder about what people may be thinking when they look at us and for us life is is safe but our experience is not something that is universally shared Some come under scrutiny and suspicion simply because of color or look. Some are denied things that we will never know what it means to be denied. And some are treated despicably in ways that we will never know. I heard one uh, black man say that when he goes for a walk, he always takes one of his children with him. Not to protect them, but for them to protect him because in the context of being with his child he is now seen as a father not a black man of concern and the racism responsible for someone having to live like this it is evil it is simply sin and about these things we should be angry But because that's not been our experience, we haven't understood what things like that would mean. We haven't been angry. We fail to understand the hurt or make sense of their anger. We haven't experienced their injustice. And so we haven't seen what was right there to be seen. And as a result, we haven't spoken out against the so many wrongs that have been done. In the novel that I so loved, uh, the novel To Kill a Mockingbird, you're well familiar with the story of when Atticus is speaking to his young daughter Scout and he says this uh, about a character by the name of Boo Radley in the story. And he says, you never understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. And as wise as those words are, and they are, most of us will never walk enough footsteps to fully understand all the anger that lies beneath the years of injustice that these latest events have tapped into. But in our response to things that should anger, Paul says, don't sin protest yes correct imperative but don't sin use your fire to illuminate use your fire to bring heat but don't let your fire destroy but be careful do not sin is not our invitation to look at others and so easily judge what they're doing their response as sin rather It's our call to see our sin, our words of abuse, our actions of payback, our ways to power over, our attitudes that judge, our actions that injure and wound, our silence that hasn't had words given. Those sins. So be angry and sin not. Why? Because we are to be controlled by a different master. Anger for what is wrong? Yes, but use that anger for good. And that means when it comes to our anger that we're, don't plant it, don't fertilize it, don't spread it, don't seed it, don't dump it. Instead, tear it up by the roots. Look at the soil of our heart and throw away everything that serves as a seedbed where sin is allowed to grow. To repeat, to be clear, there are times that anger will be present and won't be wrong. But the presence of anger does not validate sinful expressions of anger. Quite the contrary. So actions and expressions that demean, that create fear, that wound, that power over, that lose control, that destroy... Or speak wrongly, the Bible gives us no option other than say their sin. And it's not sin of theirs, it's sin that we look at ours. And instead, Paul says this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He uses a different word. He uses the word parorgamas, which means indignation or wrath or exasperation that comes out of jealousy. It's a sense of violation. And this anger is especially relevant to anger that wants to put down roots, And those roots are a lot like the clover that keeps invading my lawn, spreading and establishing more roots, choking out what is good and stealing the light and water that produce what is really desired. And God's solution is very clear. Give this anger the type of shelf life that it deserves. Step into our own lives as it applies. Deal with hurts quickly before the sun goes down, before roots become established and tentacles grow. Make things right. Keep short accounts. Don't lash out and don't play the silent withdrawal game. Instead, value and guard the relationships closest to us. Because the offenses held to, the wrongs done, the hurts given, they will only destroy. And some of us hold on to notebooks, real and mental, that are filled with the wrongs that have been done to us. But those books are killing us. God's answer is quite different. His, His answer and his method is to write out the offense if you must, but by nighttime, rip out and shred the pages. Admit your anger, don't deny it, and deal with it. See it for what it is, but don't deny it. Don't bury it. Don't collect it. Instead, forgive and then give your anger to God. Because when we don't, Scripture is very clear. It tells me that we give the devil a foothold in our lives. We give Satan entrance places where he will cause havoc as he destroys and he deceives. And then he devours. And the issue of anger is so important to Paul that he speaks of it repeatedly in this chapter because no doubt he knows its power to corrupt. He knows that anger and its many manifestations are evidence of the enemy who wants to set up home and establish spiritual strongholds. He knows that it has the power to destroy individuals and and relationships and churches It's also why he instructs within this, guard your tongues. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouths. And the word he uses is actually the word that means rotten or putrid. Don't let it come out. And the issue of our speech is is far bigger than just the words that shouldn't be said, though they are incredibly important because far too many marriages are shipwrecked because of the words that are spoken in anger. And too many lives have become incredibly wounded and, in sometimes, uh, injuriously so, by words that were spoken by a teacher or by a parent or by a supposed friend. Because those words tear down, they make small, they plant doubt, they, they seed destruction. But in this section, Paul is reminding it's not just the words that shouldn't be said. It's also the words that should be said. Words that are good for building up. Building into the, into the lives of others so that they can see Christ. In verse 29 points us, in some ways, this is part of what we have needed to learn from the outcries about injustice. The sin that many of us need to own is not the things that we have said, but it's in the things that we've left unsaid. Where we've failed to build up, where we've failed to speak grace, where we've failed to speak love, where we've failed to demonstrate, not speak, to demonstrate equality. Where Christ hasn't been spoken into things that needed to be heard it's easy to see this section of Ephesians and see it as a list of prohibitions that are to be absent from our lives but Paul writes that God's standard is higher much higher than right living it's about right relating and Paul ends this section his portion what he's been saying with an appropriate picture of grief said, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 30. And grieve is a relationship word that hits at the core of our being. And interestingly, Paul doesn't sum up and say, when you're wrong, wrongly angry, then you should grieve. Or you grieve the Spirit when you steal, or you grieve the Spirit when you speak in rotten ways, then you grieve the Spirit. No, he doesn't say that. What he says is if your life isn't a lived out expression, a demonstration of grace, a grace giver in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, then we grieve the spirit of God. Grace that is to be seen in lives that are different. Because when bitterness and clamor and judgment is those things are in view. We are living as if we are strangers to the grace that we have been given. And what that is saying is that it isn't enough to be known for the things that are merely absent for, from our lives. We are to be known for the things that are present. Known for what Paul summates is to be known for kindness and forgiveness and compassion and the love of Christ. Which brings us right back to the beginning Where we began in saying that we are to be a people who are right of heart. People that do put away things, they do put away bitterness and wrath and anger, the word is thumos, the boiling up fury going up in smoke. It's a good capture that this type of anger comes from hell itself. Put away clamor, the brawling, the voices raised in quarrel and slander, the things that are said, the malice the hateful feeling that we have that directs ill will to another. These things are always sin. Put away those things where what is revealed is far greater than the things not present. What is to be present are the things that reflections of grace that God honors and values, that sees beyond differences and disputes, that models the truth of Christ living in us. The Holy Spirit chiseling away the things that distort and destroy as he forms and shapes us as God's workmanship created in Christ for his good works. God's chisel working Christ's life in us so that the world will see